Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. We will be thinking together about the difference a Savior makes. The difference a Savior makes. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. It's the story of Zacchaeus, a story that many of us have heard from childhood. In fact, there's a little song that goes with it. Many of us learned in Sunday school or RAs or GAs or Awana over the years. I'll not sing it to you. That's my gift to you this morning. But you remember that song, it's, it's Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the master he wanted to see. And then one day he passed him by and looked up in that tree and said, Zacchaeus, you come down from going to your house today. I'm going to your house today. Now, we're going to hop into these verses, and we're going to to learn anew about the the kindness of our Savior, the difference a Savior makes. Verse 1, he, referring to Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was. He wasn't able to because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be a guest of a man who was a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The difference a Savior makes. Now, just the first reading of these verses, we are struck by a few observations. Number one, Jesus seeks sinners. Number two, Jesus delights in saving those who appear most unsavable. As we will see from these verses and a couple of corresponding texts, there were few classes of sinners like the tax collector. They abused the system. They skimmed off the top. They grew wealthy. And as they did, they drew the scorn and the contempt of their fellow citizens because everyone knew that they were gaming the system in their financial favor. What is more, in the Gospels, we often see the the tax collectors referred to in this this particular classification of sinners. 
That there was something about their sin of, of stealing, of taking from their fellow man that, that particularly grieved, particularly infuriated society. So Jesus goes out of his way, though, to see this sinner, this short man named Zacchaeus. He pursues him, and Jesus brings salvation to his house this day. Verse 1 tells us that he is entering Jericho. Jesus is making his way. He's passing along. Uh, in the previous verses, it tells us that when he engaged Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus, in verse 35, he's approaching Jericho. Now in chapter 19, verse 1, he's, he's entering into Jericho and into this city. And Jericho was a, a very attractive place. It was referred to in the ancient world as a, as a little paradise. It was kind of like a, a resort community you might think of. It was located, is located to the east of Jerusalem, between Jerusalem and the, and the Jordan River. It had a comfortable climate. The little city had culture. It had prosperity. And as I said, it was referred to as a, as a little paradise. If you lived in the ancient world, you might be tempted to buy a timeshare for Jericho. It's the place where people wanted to go to vacation to get away. Well, as such, as a city with a, 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 a booming economy that, that drew wealthy people, there was a lot of revenue there. There were a lot of expenditures there. There was wealth there. And so it made an attractive place to be what? To be the tax collector. So it is not coincidental that Zacchaeus is in Jericho. For notice verse, verse 1, or excuse me, verse 2, he is referred to as a chief tax collector. The only tax collector, collector in the Gospels that actually has that designated that designation chief in front of it. So that tells us he was particularly affluent. He was high up the, the tax collecting organizational chart. And so he is in Jericho because that is where the money was changing hands. And, and Zacchaeus situates himself there so that he can get the most revenue. Now, remember what we've seen in the Gospels already, in the Gospel of Luke. We have already met this individual, the tax collector. In fact, keep your finger in chapter, chapter 19, but flip back with me to, to Luke chapter 5. Notice Luke chapter 5, where we, again, were introduced to the tax collector in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 5, verse 27, the calling of, of Levi, of, of Matthew. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 27, tells us that, that Jesus went, went out and he notices a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And Matthew, we're told in verse 28, he left everything behind. He got up and he began to, to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with him. The Pharisees, though, and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and the sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. So whenever we meet the tax collector in the gospel of Luke, we know that he is a man marked by great sin. 
because he was driven by the gain of wealth, the gain of money, even to the degree that he would compromise his personal ethics. He would violate the law of the land. He would take advantage of his fellow citizens. He greased the system to his financial benefit. But Jesus seeks this type of sinner. Now flip with me forward to the second time we encounter a tax collector. That is in chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. And here Jesus tells a parable about two different individuals, the Pharisee and the publican. The publican, another name for the tax collector. Not Republican, publican. The Pharisee and the publican. Now notice the contours of this parable. The Pharisee was the one who was outwardly religious, this elite sect of those advanced in Judaism, those who lived a a perfectly moral life, those who practiced their religion with, with, with the utmost fastidiousness, ultra commitment. So Jesus tells this parable about the Pharisee, the one of whom everyone looked and saw religious accomplishment, and the publican, the tax collector, who everyone looked and saw as a sinner. Verse 9 of chapter 18. He also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and they viewed others with contempt. Verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself God, I thank you that I am not like the other people. Notice with whom the tax collector is lumped with. I'm not a swindler. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not even like this tax collector. Pharisee says, I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But this tax collector Standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but he was beating his breast saying, God be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who exalts, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. So what are we seeing here? We're seeing emerging from the Gospel of Luke this picture of the tax collector as being a a unique classification of sinner. His sin was not a secret sin. It was a public sin. It was a known sin because he again and again and again beat his fellow man out of money. If you lived in the first century, you might hear a a joke something like this. A guy walks into a restaurant. He yells out, All tax collectors are jerks. Some guy in the restaurant yells back, hey, I resent that remark. The guy says, what, are you a tax collector? He says, no, I'm a jerk. (laughs) Everyone hated tax collectors. Everyone but Jesus. Verse 1. So Jesus enters Jericho. He's passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector and he was rich. What do we know about this guy, 
Zacchaeus. Think with me about these verses carefully. We know, first of all, that he was wealthy. I've already alluded to that. He has accumulated unique wealth. He has accumulated substantial wealth. He is the chief tax collector. And just to drive the point home, the end of verse 2, the, 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 uh, the, uh, Luke makes plain that he was rich. So he is wealthy. We know that he was wealthy. We also know that he was corrupt. Because to be a tax collector, it was to be corrupt. That's how you got ahead. It, to, to, it'd be like being a member of the mafia but not being corrupt. Are you kidding? That's, that's, that's all it is is corruption. So we know that Zacchaeus is wealthy. We know that he is corrupt. We know that he is hated. Because every time the tax collector emerges in the Gospels, he emerges from the vantage point of being hated by his fellow man. Think about it. If someone knowingly beats you out of money and you know that he knows that he's doing that, that typically does not engender goodwill. In fact, many tax collectors would, would, have, to, would have to purchase or pay for some form of personal security, some form of personal protection, because their, their position, though, they, though they, they inured themselves well with money, it jeopardized their well-being because they were hated individuals. So Zacchaeus is wealthy. Zacchaeus is corrupt. Zacchaeus is hated. We see that Zacchaeus is a short man, verse 3. He's trying to see who Jesus was, but he's unable to because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So you can see this crowd following Jesus. And Jesus knew how to draw a crowd. He piqued the interest. Some were going because they thought they might get free, a free meal because they knew that Jesus, Jesus could multiply the loaves and the fish. And they're following Jesus, wanting to get bread for their bellies. Others went because they, they wanted some sort of healing and they knew this man performed signs and wonders and this man could heal and they were going to be healed. Others went not so much because they needed a healing, but they wanted to observe healing. I mean, who amongst us has actually seen someone heal the lame or give sight to the blind or walk on water? And folks knew that Jesus was doing this and Jesus could do this and Jesus would do this. And so they're, they're going to follow to see a sign. Others knew this man taught unlike any other. He spoke as one having authorities, not like their cheap priests and scribes. So this crowd is around, and Zacchaeus is kind of bobbing and weaving through the crowd, trying to see Jesus, but as he's trying to shuffle his way through the crowd, he keeps getting elbowed aside because he's a little man and he cannot see, so he's inventive. What does he do? Verse 4 tells us, he runs up to this sycamore tree, and in so doing, we learn that he is curious. He's, he's, he's wealthy, he's corrupt, he's hated, he's short, he's curious, he wants to see this man, Jesus. Why? We don't know. We know he, he, he doesn't need food for his belly like, like many of the crowd, many members of the crowd. Uh, perhaps he's wanting to see a sign because Zacchaeus knows you can have wealth but, but not access miracles. Perhaps, perhaps he's wanting to hear the master teach because he's heard about the way he spoke with authority. Perhaps there's an inner emptiness because he realizes he's gained wealth, he's gained stature, he's gained everything the world has to offer, but still 
in his inner man, there's an emptiness there that's breaking him. We don't know what prompts his curiosity, but we know that he is curious. He's so curious, in fact, he is determined. He goes to this tree, to the sycamore tree, and he climbs up in it. What makes a sycamore tree special? Why that tree? Is there something unique about it? Well, sycamore trees then and now, um, they grow to about, about 40 feet high. And sycamore trees have these big, long limbs that kind of drape over towards the ground. So it's the perfect type of tree for climbing. You can enter, hop on a limb, load the ground, and make your way up it. And before you know it, you're 30 or 40 feet in the air, you can see. And so children would climb sycamore trees, or people like Zacchaeus wanting to get a look at over the crowd would climb. So Zacchaeus is curious, he's determined, he makes his way to this tree and he climbs it. And we also know at this point, he is brave. Because he's throwing himself in this melu where members of the crowd would not like him, where the master would see him. And he's placing himself there in the middle of all of this. And so we might summarize it all by saying this little guy is seeking Jesus. Something has touched his heart. Something has pricked his heart. And he's looking for Jesus. He's scampering around. He scampers ahead up in verse 4. This drama there is building. The crowd is around. And Zacchaeus goes and, and, and you can... And and you can imagine Jesus walking along, verse 5, he stops and he looks and he sees the most wicked man in town. But for Jesus, that's a hot evangelistic prospect. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something this morning. It's early on a Sunday. You came in the room and if you were a casual observer wanting to to inquire about Christianity, probably the 11 a.m. service would more be your thing. But I don't want to just cruise by this without speaking a very direct word to each one of you this morning. I don't know what type of sin is going on in the back of your mind or the recesses of your heart or what type of baggage you showed up in the room with this morning. But I know this, this Savior delights in saying and saving just such a person. Jesus looks, the crowd sees a wicked cheat, Jesus sees a man ready for salvation. The sinner Jesus sought. Why Zacchaeus? Why does Jesus want Zacchaeus? Now, a shrewd person in the room may think, well, the church could use some money, and if Zacchaeus gets saved, surely he'll tithe, and there we go. We can pay off that debt we've been wanting to get rid of. Jesus doesn't need Zacchaeus' money. What is more, Jesus is eyeing Zacchaeus not in spite of his sin, but because of it. You see, Jesus places a value on the human soul that outstrips our greatest imagination. I read a few years ago um, in in the Wall Street Journal a story about Apple Apple computers all have our iPhones, our iPads, our AirPods. We all have Apple products, right? 
Well, Apple was looking to build out um, their campus in North Carolina to, to expand their office complex. And, and they were needing, they were buying up the surrounding acreage to, 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 to establish their office complex. But there was this one little holdout. There was these folks who had bought a little house uh, in the early 70s and they would not sell this, their little house, their little piece of property to Apple. So think of like a big donut with a little hole in the middle of it. And Apple had all the property around, but they wanted that little house. and They wanted it very badly. The couple had paid $6,000 for the home in the early 1970s. Apple wound up paying $1.7 million for that home. Why? Because Apple placed a value on that piece of property. And they wanted it so badly, they paid whatever it took to get it. That's how Jesus sees Zacchaeus. Jesus places a value on his soul that far outstrips any human assessment of what this little shrimp center is worth. But that is our Savior. Jesus saves sinners Those who have nothing commendable about them have everything commendable to Jesus. Have you guys seen the news recently? Kind of all the news we're hearing about Kanye West. You guys have seen this? I don't don't know who, I had to ask who Kanye West was. It shows how culturally attuned I am. Um, I had to figure out who he was here in recent months and, and, uh, and, and what he did. He's evidently a very proficient musician and has like 40 million Twitter followers. And um, the, the rumblings for a period of months have been that, that he has found Christ. And he's got this new album that came out, Jesus is King, which I, from what I read is a, a very strong testimonial album. And, and kind of all the signs are that, that actually Kanye West, this pop cultural icon, has, has become a believer. And I found myself at times struggling with credulity struggling with belief, and I have seen many others kind of taking a let's wait and see approach to Kanye. I get it. Oftentimes, celebrities have some type of a Christian or spiritual or religious experience, and they may for a season show the signs of of a life change only to revert back to their prior practices. But I remind us this morning that the conversion of Zacchaeus is more remarkable than the conversion of Kanye West. And if you have a keen sense of yourself, you will come to sense and to know that your own conversion is just as remarkable as the conversion of Kanye West. The sinner Jesus sought. Now notice with me secondly, the salvation Jesus wrought. Verse 6. Jesus declares... Zacchaeus in verse 5, come down, for today I must stay at your house. Again, how shocking this is for the observers. This blows the mind of the Pharisees. This blows the mind of the crowd. Not merely that Jesus would talk with the sinner, not merely that Jesus would offer salvation to the sinner, not merely that Jesus would, would, would dine with the sinner. Not merely that Jesus might be open to staying at the house of the sinner, but Jesus announces, today I must stay at your house. It's shocking. Verse 6, Zacchaeus, he hurries, he comes down, 
and he receives him gladly. Verse 7. When they saw it, they, who's they? The crowd, and particularly the Pharisees, they began to grumble. He's gone to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. What do we see here taking place? We see a few things. We see, first of all, notice Zacchaeus, there is quick obedience. There is quick repentance. Zacchaeus comes down and he doesn't enter into a protracted negotiation with Jesus over precisely what this will cost him on his balance sheet if he follows Christ. He, he doesn't get into a, draw, he doesn't draw a T-chart and put, you know, pros and cons or liabilities or assets and, and kind, of, kind of work his way through this as to far as what exactly this might cost him financially to follow Jesus. Does he know? Zacchaeus' heart clearly is being touched by Christ. His soul is being impacted by Christ. The gospel is invading his life here. And Zacchaeus quickly, immediately repents. Notice not only that, he, he publicly does it. He comes down. This is a public exchange. And Zacchaeus, he understands what he's doing. He's, he's before Christ in the crowd. He's, in essence, renouncing his old way of life. Also, notice his happy obedience. Verse 8. Behold, Lord. Half of my possessions I will give to the poor. If I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. What is going on here? It's restitution. In the Old Testament, the law that, uh, that, 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 I, that Zacchaeus and the crowd would have been accustomed to, um, restitution is made plain in places like Leviticus 6 and Numbers 5 and Exodus 22. But here's what I want you to know. What Zacchaeus offers here in verse 8 outstrips every expectation from the Old Testament of restitution. So Zacchaeus isn't saying, Lord, I want to follow you. Uh, the Old Testament says I must rest, make restitution for X. How about 50% of X? No, Zacchaeus is, is smitten by the grace of Christ. And he steps forward and says, I want to follow you. And the Old Testament says, restitution should look like X. I'm going to do two times X. You see, he who's encountered the grace of Christ doesn't find himself negotiating with the one who dispenses that grace. What are we seeing in this scene? We are seeing repentance take place. Now juxtapose the heart of Zacchaeus in chapter 19 with the heart of the rich young ruler in chapter 18, beginning in verse 18. Remember this guy, the rich young ruler? We see him here, we see him in Mark 10, he shows up. And remember what this rich young ruler does. He looks more urgent and eager than Zacchaeus. And I won't get into all the, the moving parts here of the rich young ruler, but remember what happens in chapter 18 and verse 18? He runs up to Jesus in verse 18. He, he, he comes up to Jesus on the road and he, he confesses his desire to follow Jesus. And, and, and Jesus senses though, though he's stating his desire to follow Jesus and he basically asks, you know, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Jesus senses there's, a, there's a, an idol in his life, and Jesus goes after the rich young ruler and says, okay, sell your possessions, give away what you have, give it to the poor, and the rich young ruler hardens up. Why? Because he had many possessions, and he didn't want to relinquish those to follow Jesus. Zacchaeus summerly is wealthy, evidently the prime of life. Clearly, much at his disposal, but as opposed to having a clenched fist and saying, Lord, this I cannot do, Zacchaeus, unlike the rich young ruler, shows up and repents in spades, repents twofold, threefold, transcends every legal expectation of restitution, and in so doing, he demonstrates a life of repentance, and one who has received the grace of Christ. Repentance. It's a biblical concept. It is a sweet concept. It's a glorious concept. Do not think of it as a punitive act by God. Think of it as as your pathway into receiving the grace of Christ. I will tell you, I don't hear repentance preached much these days. A few years ago, my my two oldest daughters, they'll be here in the later service, they were playing junior high girls basketball. And look, junior high girls basketball may not sound that important to you, but if it's your daughter's playing, it's rather important. And so we were there at the game and followed the games. Our girls were in eighth grade then, we're following along and... uh, we're at the end of the season, there's this little tournament they're playing in. And this little league was very small Christian schools and a couple of homeschool teams in it. So it's a you know, pretty small league. Well, at the end of the season, the tournament, they pack all these games one after another after another into like a Thursday and Friday during the day, you know, to just kind of run through the games to, to get the final season, end of the season tournament over. Well, anyway, we're there and I'm in the gym and it's a big gym that seats probably six or 800. And there, there are like 50 parents in there. No one's in there. We're watching the game. Well, I'm watching the game and notice throughout the first half, the referees keep calling fouls on our teams, Pastor Lane, but not on the other team's girls. Well, sometimes referees need a little help, don't they? Right? And we're watching the game, and I wasn't upset by it. I was just kind of doing the math. Well, by the time we're close to the second half, the, the, the end of the first half, the fouls are eight to two. They've caught eight fouls on our girls, two fouls on the other girls' team. And so I, I wasn't mad. I, I didn't yell. But, but right before someone was about to shoot a free throw and the gym was dead quiet, I, I just said in an elevated voice, I just said, the fouls are eight to two. Let's even it up, refs. Well, like every head in the gym turns and looks at me and my wife, and my wife is so upset that she's like, I cannot believe you just yelled. She's elbowing me. I said, sweetie, I did not yell. I just made a public observation. <laughs> Similarly at this point, I'm not mad at anyone. I'm not going to yell, but I'll make a public observation. Repentance is the forgotten grace in the 21st century church. Repentance is the forgotten doctrine in the 21st century church. Repentance is good and sweet and right. And if it's been a long time since you found yourself repenting, I submit to you this morning, it's been a long time since you were near to Christ. Repent. That's the linchpin in Zacchaeus' conversion. 
And that act of repentance, of confessing to the Lord and a willingness to make it right, that took the chief tax collector who was in the depths of sin and put him dining at the table of the master. So we've seen the the sinner Jesus sought, Zacchaeus, the salvation Jesus wrought, repentance and grace, See with me thirdly and quickly the sermon Jesus brought. So Jesus now takes a step back and he gives a little two-verse sermon to Zacchaeus and to the listeners. Today salvation has come to his house because he too is a son of Abraham. What does it mean to be a son of Abraham? Well, you have a physical and a spiritual reality there. The children of Israel were sons and daughters of Abraham through their lineage. But Jesus here, I think, is referring to the spiritual reality. He's saying this to the crowd. Why do you marvel that I am a seeking Savior? Why do you marvel that I go after the heart of hearts? Why do you marvel? For we've learned today of Zacchaeus that he indeed is a spiritual heir of Abraham. For the Son of Man, verse 10, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He sought the lost sheep leaving the 99 to go after the one. He sought the lost coin, cleaning the house, turning it upside down to find the coin. He sought the prodigal son, slaying the fatted calf, robing his body with the robe, placing a ring on his finger. You see, Jesus saves sinners. And so this morning, I say to you, if you have never met this seeking Savior, it makes all the difference in the world. He will change your life, transform your life, bring you into eternal fellowship with him. And in an instant, you can find yourself renewed and washed by the precious blood of Jesus. Let's pray together.